Yes, I know. Please stop yelling at me. I was like, good morning, Belinda, I guess early afternoon. Early afternoon. So I did a Kickstarter for this group of enamel pins that are LGBT pride birds. Oh, and I got to pick four. So I have a bisexual owl, a ginger fluid pigeon, a bisexual raven, and a bisexual cockatiel. Let's see if I can find it. There was a girl last night that I found online and I was showing Brianna because I'm like starting to do the Christmas shopping thing early. Yeah. And oh, it's called Awful Sloth. She's on Etsy. I found her on. Oh, I love her. And I go, so do you want a pin that says I have ADHD or do you want one that says I have social anxiety? And she goes, can I have both of them? And I was like, that's valid. Yes. (laughs) I kind of want the one that uh, says unmasking is important. Oh, I I think it's so funny. It's like right when you and I start to record, suddenly everyone Mm -hmm. and their mom is like, I need to talk to you right now. And I'm like, you've had multiple hours since I've been awake. I will get back to you yeah. in three to five business days, which really just means I'll talk to you in about two hours. Exactly. Like it's, it's fine. It's going to be fine. I do like the, I have PTSD button. As y'all who have listened to us before already know we are in, or this is welcome to unfortunately required reading. Yes. Um, but if you don't know who we are, we usually start off the show with the fact that Amanda and I haven't seen each other since God, like, I think December or you occasionally pop by and drop something off and we wave from the door. Yes. I still have your Christmas present from last year that I found when I was cleaning. Cause I gave you like a little thing and I was like, your other stuff hasn't shown up yet. Yeah. I remember that now. And then it's been in a purse ever since. And I was like, oh, wow. I still have your black widow bag. I was just going to drop it off and I drop off our anniversary gift. Just be like, hi. Yeah. You will Uh, get another Christmas present this year. (laughs) Oh, I, I wasn't concerned. Oh, I think it's some felted pumpkins. Ooh, velvet pumpkins. Oh, they're so pretty. I got another one in pink, but I can't reach it. (laughs) My arms are too short. Welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading, where we usually talk about literature. (laughs) This week, we are covering All Quiet on the Western Front, or as we've entitled this episode, or you did, and I love it, All Loud on the Eastern Back. I'm sorry, I thought it was funny. No, I did too. I was reading. So we have a group show note thing that we do. So I create like a basic outline and then send it over and go, Amanda, fill in what you want to fill in. And then we have like the funniest conversations back and forth in notes, because usually we're doing this at like breaks during work. So we can make sure we're ready to go on Saturday. And it is hysterically funny sometimes. Like, oh, that's where the fact came from about Victor Hugo writing it with it out like yes having his dick out and also shout out to fuck boys of literature thank you for your sticker purchase i can't wait to see it so amanda has created an amazing sticker asking victor hugo to make sure to put it away yes that's on our Redbubble store there's also screams in capitalism and Mm -hmm. in colonialism there is yes so um and our all favorite white tear sticker yes which actually does not apply to this episode uh Tori, we have to do two things today. Uh, one of them is a trigger warning. Right. And two of them is a the world is on fire warning. Unfortunately, uh, when we began planning this episode, things were the normal level of on fire. 
Um, but things have escalated. Would you like to talk to the audience about that? So we plan to read All Quiet on the Western Front about like three weeks ago, two weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, about two and a half, three weeks ago. And in that time frame, uh, the United States made good on a promise to leave Afghanistan and everything kind of went to hell. Yes. Um, we are not here to pontificate on our thoughts about Afghanistan. That's not going to happen. Because I we don't have to. It was bad and I'm glad we're leaving. I wish we didn't leave this way. Right. I have a lot of friends <laughs> who are veterans. They're having a really, really, really rough time right now. And yes. I get it. If yes. you were struggling, I did want to give you a phone number. It's the Veterans Crisis Line. The mm-hmm. number is 800-273-8255. Mm-hmm. You press one. It mm-hmm. is free. It's anonymous. It's mm-hmm. not going to get you in trouble with the VA or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, again, that number is 800-273-8255. Mm-hmm. Press one, and I'll go ahead and include that in the show notes as well. Mm-hmm. We know this is hard right now. Mm-hmm. You are good people. You did not set out to do anything insane. We get mm-hmm. it. It sucks. Mm-hmm. It's really mm-hmm. hard to watch something that you worked really hard for fall apart. Mm-hmm. So we're going to leave it at that. I'll also add any jokes or quips we make during this as two people with PTSD uh, is not in any way meant to downplay or be derogatory of the condition. It's just, this is how we cope. We understand that humor is not a way that a lot of people cope, but I just want to put out a blanket warning because I know I've been accused of this in other spaces like, oh, well, you joking about it makes it seem like it's invalid. No, not at all. It's super valid. This is just the way that I have found that I cope with this stuff. So any light remarks that we might make or any jokes that we might make during this episode is just how we've come to cope with this stuff. And it is in no way to detract from the seriousness um, of this topic or of the current situation. Right. Okay. Don't you just love having a PR person? <laughs> I do. So now that we've gotten all the sad stuff, well, we haven't gotten all the sad We're not done with the sad way. stuff. That's We're not finished. Book, um, entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, Amanda, are we making a trophy for the trauma Olympics? I mean, I can. <laughs> I can. It's become kind of a joke of what grade did you have to read this in? So if somebody read it before the other one, then it's, oh, I won the trauma Olympics this week. Um, oh my gosh, I can get one with a cow one. I can get a custom animal trophy. <laughs> you can get one and it can be like, um, oh gosh, now, why is my brain always mess up? Emperor's New Groove, the whole... A llama into a cow. Can I go home? Yes. yes. The I can go home trophy would be a cow. <laughs> there's one with there's a pink column trophy that's very pink and pretty. Do you come in purple? It looks like the worst kind of pageant trophy. It's only twelve dollars. I've seen some pretty bad pageant trophies. I know. I'm really <laughs> concerned. Why is this only twelve dollars? This, this website is called Trophy Depot. I was going to say, are they shipping cocaine in with it to cut the costs? Or? I, I, I guess. We can get champion award belts. Oh my gosh. You want a trauma belt? I had to read this book in high school belt. Okay. Uh, so that's kind our- of like I actually really like this book. I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was one of the books I read in high school that I was like, oh, this didn't feel painfully forced. I, uh, we're jumping the gun a little bit. I did not like this book in high school. Uh, I will say my feelings have changed, uh, to be determined. Gotcha. So what are we eating and drinking right now? Uh, I'm eating nothing. 
as this at this moment. Uh, but I'm drinking a Dr. Pepper and black cherry rum. I basically made a really, really bougie Cuba Libre. You've got your rum ration? I did. I found out shortly before this episode how obsessed people in Germany in World War I were with mm. coffee. So I have made myself a cold brew iced coffee. Yay. Yay. I was going to put rum in it, and then I realized I have to be an adult in like two hours, so... Yeah, I, you know, between the kidney issues and everything else, I have to be super careful about my alcohol intake. Uh, but please note that that means that I have not stopped. I get glow in the dark metals. Glow in the dark metals, yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So actually, that might be fun for our next giveaway is to give away I Survived Required Reading. Yes. A note. Um, all right. So we got our rum ration because that was super integral to the survival of uh, surface men and at that time, just men uh, around the world for a very long time. Uh, so that actually didn't stop until the seventies, which is amazing to me, but there was a concern about over, uh, overindulging. So, which is why we're doing a small rum ration. I just think it's amazing that you got a ration of rum. Yeah. And the funny thing was that was one of those things where if you didn't get it, you rioted. Mm-hmm. And that ended up becoming a thing with multiple, like it, you'll see in the beginning of this book, they're talking about rations. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually a really big thing. If you didn't get your ration, you mm-hmm. were kind of like, oh, hell no. It's okay mm-hmm. for me to go out here and blow something up for you, but you're not going to give me what I need. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to short story long so we can get into this. <laughs> By all means. So Paul Barmer is 19 years old and part of a group of school friends who have joined the German army to fight the French on the, on the Western front in World War I. So there are multiple fronts, just so you know, this one happens to be the one with France. Mm-hmm. Paul um, is the same age that Remark was when he joined the military as well. Just so mm-hmm. that age is not an accident. It Their is not. teacher, Contarek, shared patriotic songs and speeches with them. But they've all pretty much figured out now that they've experienced a real bait and switch because none of the people who encourage them to go to war are actually in the fight. It's just all mm-hmm. the young kids and people with no money. Mm-hmm. Paul reflects, reflects on the brutal training at the hands of Corporal Himmelstoss, who was a dick, and basically took out all of his sense of helplessness on these kids that came in to train. They've only trained for about six months. They really have a lot going on. They've realized that patriotism and nationalism are bullshit and they're probably going to die. Or Mm -hmm. they're living in constant terror. They Mm -hmm. end up with extra food because when the orders were put in, there were 150 men alive. But after Mm -hmm. a bombing a couple days before, only 80 are left alive. The cook doesn't want to hand over the extra food, but the soldiers convince him to. Mm -hmm. Some folks take the leftovers and hide them in a wash tub. Paul and his friends go to see a friend named Kemmerich who is in a medical tent, he had to have his leg amputated and he is not looking good. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, war surgery does, at that time was not great. Um, mm-hmm. Mueller is, and one of their friends are like, hey, can I have your boots if you kick it? Um, which As you for, do. For us, we're like, what the hell? Um, but Paul admits that they've all kind of disassociated from emotions because emotions will get you killed. Um, Absolutely. Paul, Turns to his friend's bedside, Kemmerich, just as he dies, he agonizes over the fact that he'll have to write to Kemmerich's mom to tell her that he's dead. And he ends up grabbing the boots and giving them to Mueller, who asked for them. 
Mm-hmm. New recruits show up and Paul's friend, I wrote cat. Oh yeah, that's right. Shows them some of the leftover stew and feeds them. Cat mm-hmm. is also tired of the bullshit and says that if officers made as much as regular soldiers and everyone had the same food rations, the war would be over right away. Crop, another mm-hmm. soldier, advises them that he thinks the leaders of the nations should just fight each other and leave the citizens out of it. Agreed. They talk about how insignificant people use war to give themselves power. They find out Corporal Himostas has been sent to the front. So, haha, he's out there now, which isn't mm-hmm. great for some people because they're reflecting on how he treated them. Mm-hmm. At night, the soldiers go out to lay out barbed wire at the front, but they end up being <laughs> bombed by artillery and hide out in a graveyard. The shelling lifts corpses out of their graves and soldiers are dying all around them. We see more dissociative behavior when they return to camp and spend time pulling lice off each other and talking about what they plan to do after the war. Paul says he doesn't know what he would do with himself, which is a big point. A lot of the soldiers don't know what to do with themselves after the war. Mm-hmm. Paul says he does, um, when Himmelstuff shows up, Chajin, who's another soldier, insults them. The men are lightly punished and Himmelstuff is told to just suck it up. Paul and Kat find a goose in a house near the front, and everyone gets a decent meal for once. Mm-hmm. Another battle rages with Allied infantry. People are literally blown apart, and giant rats eat the dead and wounded. Paul reflects that he's become an animal in battle. Only 32 of the 80 we met at the beginning are still alive. Mm-hmm. The men get a quick reprieve. They go for a swim and end up hanging out with some French chicks. Paul wishes he could just go back to the innocent days of girl chasing, but he feels like now that's impossible. He gets 17 days leave and goes home to see his family, but he feels super weird back in his hometown and feels like he can't be truthful about all the trauma he's endured because people just want to be like, oh, you know, you're a German soldier. You're fighting for us. Um, He finds out his mom is dying of cancer. He also finds out his teacher was conscripted into the war. So the one who encouraged them to go into the war now has to come and fight for the nonsense too. Mm-hmm. He goes to Kemmerich's mom and lies, saying that Kemmerich died instantly and painlessly rather than crying in agony after having his leg amputated. Paul goes to spend time training near a Russian POW camp. He realizes, like them, they are just freaking people, and he doesn't understand how humans can latch onto the concept of enemies when, honestly, they don't have any personal grudges against each other. Mm-hmm. Paul goes back to his company. The Kaiser comes to visit the front, and everyone is like, this is a joke, right? This guy is super short and weak. Yes, he is. So classic gimpy arm. Um, during another battle, which is not nice. I'm sorry. That's a whole thing that we'll talk about in a minute. Um, during another battle, Paul is separated from his crew and ends up in a shell hole. A French soldier jumps in with him. Paul automatically stabs him and then is super remorseful as he watches the guy mm-hmm. die a slow death. He mm-hmm. finds out the dude's name was Gerard Duval and he had a wife and child. His mm-hmm. friends try to help him back into camp. Into camp. Mm-hmm. For three weeks, the team is supposed to keep the supply depot away from, or from issues anyway. A battle comes in and Paul and Crop are wounded. They bribe the sergeant major with cigars so they can go to the hospital train together. Mm-hmm. Paul has surgery. Crop has a leg locked off and is super depressed. Mm-hmm. Paul's given a short leave home, but has to return to the front lines. And that's mm-hmm. actually something that um, Mark had to do as well. Mm-hmm. The German army sees his or sees their friends killed one by one. Mm-hmm. His friend Detring tries to run but ends up court-martialed. Cat is killed with shrapnel slices to the head. It's soon 1918, and Paul is the only one of his friends still alive. He gets poisoned by mustard gas and is given short leave, but then is sent right back to the front again. 
-hmm. In October, on a quiet day of fighting, Paul is killed. The army report for the day reads, all quiet on the Western Front. Paul's corpse looks relieved. Whoo! So, uh, there's a refrain in this podcast. I had to adjust my dress. Tori saw my shoulder exposed. You hussy. (laughs) I know. Ah, just slid down this poor exposed shoulder. Uh, Trying to seduce me out of my Puritan ways. I know. I guess singing Hellfire at you. (laughs) I am wearing purple, too, so that's extra funny. Uh, So, I'm going to add this to the list of... uh, why do we make children read these things? What's funny is we equally make children read these things and then try to convince them to join the military to pay for college or medical treatment or tell them that this is the only way that they can get ahead in life. Or my favorite is the still occasional and see the world. So I have some friends who are officers and mm-hmm. they love what they do. Mm -hmm. um they're mostly navy they're mostly radar so Mm -hmm. a little bit different Mm -hmm. um friends in the air force really like Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. majority of my friends from either the marines or the army have some serious issues yeah Um, they're lovely human beings but ptsd is real guys it's not oh absolutely um and and like we said at the very beginning we're not here to harp on people who've joined the military at all no not love you guys we understand um yeah but there's a critical sorry being critical of the system that gave us especially in the u.s our current military industrial complex is not an indictment of actual soldiers it's sort of like when people say defund the police or acab it isn't at individual police officers it's at the consistent and generational repression that has allowed these systems to become what they are. So it isn't all cops or bastards at like the cop down the street who's just minding his own business. It isn't defund the military at the one soldier at the VA who lost his limbs and is just doing his fucking best. It's at the institution behind it that continues to cover up rape, that continues to cover up murder and suicide that continues to essentially lie to mostly minority men and women with vain promises that never come true and then return them back to American soil completely unprepared for human existence. The really difficult thing, at least with, our, with modern military, is we have a lot of people who come back from war mm-hmm. and you know are either exit the system or are asked to exit the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have nowhere to go. They have no idea what to do with themselves and they're not made aware of what opportunities and options they have. Um, if any, because I don't want to make it sound like it's utopian when they get back. It's not. Um, we have talked before about black soldiers coming back from world war one and having nothing because yep. the things that were promised to white soldiers were not given to black soldiers. Um, so we've talked about that before um but as well as the fact that we actually so we live in san antonio so we're also known as military city usa so we Mm -hmm. see the stuff firsthand Um, there are some incredible organizations there's actually a woman named jacqueline smith who has the jacqueline smith foundation Mm -hmm. and she does all sorts of stuff to go out and help homeless veterans help them find housing Mm -hmm. Um, she 
has different things where they do free classes for people. Um, mm-hmm. I'll include her information in our show notes as well, but mm-hmm. they work with different organizations out here to make sure that those who have served do not go hungry, do not mm-hmm. homeless, do not have to suffer. Um, because a lot of times, like I said, you come back and you're like, well, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the concept of shell shock. So we're going into our themes and symbols. So World War One was unique for a lot of reasons, but mm-hmm. a great deal of it, and, and we, I see we have notes a little bit farther down too, was the weaponry. Yes. So previously, we did not fight what they under what they called the war of attrition, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody had pretty much equal, well, unless you were fighting local natives or uh, the indigenous peoples. Um, mm-hmm. Most people had equal muskets. Most people had equal bayonets. They had uh-huh. the same tools. <clears throat> well, as we got into World War I, we started with some pretty heavy artillery. So we uh-huh. had new weapons that had never been used before. Uh-huh. We had uh, trench warfare, which was when they basically would dig trenches around. And if you go to Europe today, you can still see scars in the land from where this was. Uh-huh. And so people would basically be sitting in trenches waiting to either like Paul does go out in the middle of the night and lay additional barbed wire to kind of extend your trench or mm-hmm. to um, try to attack somebody if they were close enough to you. That's one of the right. reasons that if you watch um, Wonder Woman, the, the not the most recent one, but the original or the one with Gal Gadot, the first one, when she runs into No Man's Land, that's that No Man's Land is that area between trenches so it's- i also love how that's your reference for trench warfare yes like out of all the movies that cover trench warfare that's your reference for trench warfare it's wonder woman. so there are there are so many um that's, come, come the fuck on dunkirk literally anything else and you have the audacity i'm writing say- nerd news website what do you want there are so many movies that do this and you have the gall and audacity to say Wonder Woman. I do. Okay. I'm shocked and horrified. Uh, I do want to get into, while we're talking about trench warfare, uh, before we talk into the war, some of the diseases and some of the artillery, uh, Tori and I get to live our best selves and be that creepy guy in your history class. But because we're both women and I'm of color, I get away with a lot of things. Um, so there were a lot of diseases in trench warfare. These trenches were vile and disgusting and full of rotting bodies and excrement and all different kinds of things, rotting food. Uh, trench foot was very, very common, which was a debilitating necrotizing fasciitis or flesh destroying bacteria. Mm-hmm. Amanda is not a serial killer. Uh, that oftentimes just destroyed bodies and fungus and athlete's foot was rampant as well as other diseases such as dysentery, cholera, pretty much anything that you would think of when you have typhus. Yes. A lot of diseases that you would think about when you have a lot of people in one space. Um, There were chemical weapons really for the first time that we know of in modern warfare. Um, There is some debate on whether, um, historical armies used chemical warfare i'm not here to have that debate because i'm tired and i'm drinking rum (laughs) but this is really the first use of chemical warfare in modern um, examples mustard gas was awful it caused incredibly horrible uh caustic burns 
it destroyed respiratory symptoms and the death is essentially caused by your lungs just giving up and you drowning in your own um, essentially mucus and blood. So that's not pleasant. Into your lungs and destroy them while you were struggling to breathe, which is why we see people with gas masks at this period of time. Yeah. And a lot of those were not effective. Oh, very ineffective. There were a lot of times just cheap and thrown out there to make you feel better about yourself. Yep. Uh, Security theater, as we know it is now. Uh, We also had automatic weapons. Again, automatic weapons did exist, but we had weapons more like the Vickers and the Gatling gun that had been really honed down and refined. We're starting to see some of the first machine guns as well. So not just the Vickers, but other machine guns that could just tear through people. So that no man's land is particularly dangerous because the only way that you're advancing into territory is by leaving the safety of your foxhole and jumping out into no man's land, likely only to be mowed down by way too many bullets. Um, I know I talk about the show all the time, but Deadliest Warrior has an episode that they put uh, Teddy Roosevelt versus uh, Lawrence of Arabia. And they put the Gatling gun versus the Vickers. And like, because it's a show for like testosterone low dude bros, they keep making it sound like these guns are impotent. Uh, watch that whole episode and just watch the display of what you can do with a horrifying like amount of effort. Also, one of the Teddy Roosevelt experts in that episode is like a very, very discount Brendan Fraser. And the other guy just looks like Teddy Roosevelt. Like, I have a theory about Deadliest Warrior that, like, especially in the later seasons that they just got time travelers. That would that would kind of track. Oh. Well, so, especially, like, for some of the later seasons, like, the one that comes to mind, honestly, is uh, Viet Cong versus the Waffen SS. Hmm. Like, yeah, because that's a great episode. Uh, the guys that they got to be the German experts, one's just a white dude who cares so much about World War II but hasn't learned the lesson. So he's just running around egging his uh, friend on in German, which is not something that I want to see, is two Nazis egging each other on in German. <laughs> and the other is like a German soldier, but he sounds like Hans Landa from Inglorious Bastards, and he's way too good with all these weapons. <laughs> like one of the Viet Cong like gives him a challenge and he like sneers, indulge me. It's like, sir, you're not supposed to do this. At any point in time, did he go, goodbye, Shoshana? I wish he did, but he didn't. There's also a uh, Vlad the Impaler. He may be watching Glorious Bastards, just so everybody's aware. Uh, There's also a Vlad the Impaler versus Sun Tzu episode, which is just mean. Sun Tzu did not do a lot of physical fighting, which is why he was a nerd and wrote books. Uh, (laughs) And the experts that they get for Vlad the Impaler is like a dude who looks like the lead singer from Metalocalypse, but like seven feet tall. That's amazing. And another shorter guy who has black nail polish and looks like all of my ex-boyfriends. I have concerns. I have concerns. About what part, ma'am? No, I'm just laughing because my daughter made me start watching The Owl House. And every time um, Ida talks about her ex-boyfriends, I think about you and myself. Yes. Yes. Uh, So... We had automatic weapons, we have chemical weapons. There was also a terrifying amount of dread and psychology 
and psychological effects that came with this. Um, realistically, PTSD has probably always existed. Mm-hmm. And mm, here's where we're going to get into some lingo. So in ye olden days, it was called shell shock, which was a literal that they said just shock from shelling or bombs being dropped in or near your trench. Pretty much constantly. Yes. Um, we now know that to be post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, the problem, problem I'm using air quotes, uh, with calling it that is that realistically, trauma can be a lot of things. Mm-hmm. For instance, I have been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, even though I have never been to war. There are also variations on it, like C- CPTSD, which is complex yeah. post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic stress actually stress. the condition that I have. Because realistically, anything that drastically affects your life is trauma. So yeah, I have my complex PTSD diagnoses, which explains a lot. Thank you, School of Life, and to my therapist. Uh, We'll put some links about PTSD in the School of Life as well in the show notes. Please don't use this to self-diagnose yourself. Neither of us are doctors. We're just nerds. Yes, you. I, that's the really hard thing is we live in an age of WebMD and TikTok where you go, I have all of those symptoms. I must be. Please have a medical professional talk to you because it can be a right. lot of different things. I have an anxiety Absolutely. disorder that mm-hmm. has been diagnosed that represents a lot like ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband actually is diagnosed with ADHD as is our daughter. So I know that there are subtle differences. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't know that unless I had gone to a professional and I know it can be, and really I just hard. have the ADHD and the anxiety disorder. So yeah. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. You've got a combo. Like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Uh, so we'll put Try some resources best. in. I, I, mm, yes. Thank you. <laughs> so there was a lot for the first time, really talk about the psychological effects of war. And again, realistically, this has probably always existed. Um, there are some interesting poems now looking back from Spartan soldiers coming back and talking about like just not being able to exist in humanity anymore. Um, so this is something that has probably existed always since trauma leaves an indelible mark upon the body. There's another great book um, called The Body Keeps Score, which talks about how trauma affects every aspect of your life. Um, and there's another book that was on my wish list about generational trauma that I'll probably link in the show notes as well. That uh, I think it's a, uh, it didn't start with you, which if you are of color and or a woman just sinks in too hard because it did not start with you, unfortunately. Um, and it unfortunately likely will not end with you because that is the problem with raising, with being raised by traumatized people is that they often traumatize you usually in the guise of being better. Um, a lot of the therapy at this time, well, either didn't exist or was ineffectual. Um, there were still a lot of rest cures and stuff like that. Like, oh, I'll go out into the country. Like, that will fucking help. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think that's funny. Uh, again, like, as someone who takes medication for anxiety and complex PTSD and depression, <laughs> it's like that meme of, oh, well, just go out into nature if you're sad. It's like, now I have a tropical depression. And it's like all those videos of like the Grim Reaper at the beach. So I'm going to get in trouble because I'm going to reference another uh, comic book thing. Squint's hard. It's kind of like in Falcon and Winter Soldier, like how bad Bucky Barnes' therapist is. Yes. Um, I will let you know, we have much, much better military therapists available. 
Um, mm, depending not, on where you are. Not from the military. <laughs> um, yeah. Exterior. Exterior. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we do. We, we are better with therapy now. If the problem also with PTSD, because especially toxic masculinity in military culture, you probably might not be told that you have PTSD. Uh, or you'll be told that it's going to be okay and it will get better once you're back at home. Spoiler alert, it does not get better once you get back at home. Uh. And that's something that we saw a huge increase in as well after World War I. Um, mm-hmm. My grandfather was in World War II. I will admit he abandoned my grandmother and my dad right after mm-hmm. getting back from World War II because he was like, you know what? I almost died. I don't really feel like being a parent or a husband anymore. Realistically, um, mood? I'm not saying that that was okay. I'm just saying, thankfully, my grandmother was an absolute badass and was just like, that's cool. I'm moving to California and I'm going to work for JPL. Like, um, (laughs) yeah, like I'm not, I'm not condoning these actions at all, but also like relatable. Oh, and it was extremely common to come back and have people, um, who previously weren't abusive suddenly be abusive, Mm -hmm. um, extreme bouts of irritability of and a lot of these things tie in again to PTSD and anxiety where you would have and this sometimes this is brain trauma as well so I mean that's a variety of things where you would come back and you'd just be like no I don't feel like doing this anymore Um, yeah and that's I don't want to say I mean okay I'm gonna go ahead and say it to me that's valid I'm not saying that the execution of a lot of that is valid but that's a very valid feeling. I know I had a lot of that uh, going through my own PTSD and trauma is uh, sometimes you just decide, no, you pull that like, I'll go ahead and do a nerd thing as well. You do that Captain America at the end of Endgame where it's like, no, I don't think I will. And you just sort of abandon your responsibilities. Also, I imagine as I'm dealing with right now in this current pandemic, it's very hard to think about a future when all you've had is an is a random and capricious present mm-hmm. and so Paul like talks a lot about that as well yes. where he's just like i don't know what i'm gonna do after the war i don't do well back in my hometown the only thing i really know how to do is interact with my colleagues out here in the war like mm-hmm. i don't know what you expect me to do right and i, I want to loop this into current times right now we're starting to see a lot of that with the pandemic um I know at least like speaking to me and my experience, um, I've had a lot of impulse issues, mostly like shopping. Shopping has been like my one big impulse issue because I already have a hard time planning ahead and seeing the future thanks to my complex PTSD. But even more so, like I, like genuinely, I can't think about like the next few months. It's very hard for me to wrap my head around that. It already was, again, thank you to my issues, but because of the pandemic and things changing so quickly, I doubly have no idea what the future looks like. I never do. I am that poster child for that kid who's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's like, I'm shocked I'm still alive. And like, not even in a macabre way, just like, I don't know what I'm still doing here. I thought it'd be over a long time ago. And it keeps going. And that's really hard to, and it ties also back into where we're seeing a lot of issues with workforce right now. 
Um, you hear a lot of people say, oh, well, nobody wants to work right now. That's not necessarily true, okay? They want to work. People don't want to waste their time with something they're going to get yelled at for. Um, we've seen a lot of people who've worked in customer service. We've, mm-hmm. um, not to, I'm not going to give you guys my employer, obviously, but I work in community management with mm-hmm. um, properties. And I'm going to tell you how many community managers have just quit because Mm -hmm. they got tired of being yelled at by people who were told that they needed to cut their grass Um, in a nice and polite kind way. I mean, I have seen so many people just say, screw it. If you're going to be mean to me like that, I'm not going to do this anymore. And so now we're obviously seeing this big swath of job positions open where people Mm -hmm. are like, it's not worth the money. It's not mm-hmm. worth that. Um, you see a lot of people, you also hear the, the whole, oh, well, okay. You, you know, you and Amanda and I know this from being mm-hmm. younger. Well, if you want to make more money, you need to get a better job. Okay. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these people said, I'm not going to do fast food anymore. I'm not going to be a housekeeper anymore. I'm going to go and I'm going to apply for this other job. And then suddenly it's like, well, where are all our employees? Well, okay. I don't want to make it sound that privileged. Them. Like, like, I don't want to make it sound that privileged. A lot of it also was for what I'm making, it's not worth dying. So I don't, I mean, I don't want to invalidate what you're saying, but a lot of it is not that privileged. It right. genuinely just is. yourself at risk. Yeah, it is not, it is not worth 825 to fucking die. Like that has been a take for some people, but for a vast majority, it has been, this is not worth risking my life over. Or the lives of my family. And we've lost exactly. something like 600,000 people to COVID-19. Oh, it's more than that. Yeah, I um, was going to say, it's been more now. but um, It's definitely more than that. Um, to, to give you an example, I had um, something that happened yesterday, actually. I went to go pick up lunch, and I saw they had a particular kind of cookie that I wanted. So, of course, I ordered it. And go there, pick it up. It's like, oh, hey, this cookie's missing from my order. The guy's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. We're actually all out of those. Is there another kind that we can give you? Like, sure, I'll take this one. And I was just chilling nice. And he's like, you know what? For that, I'm going to give you some extra. And it's like, I hate, I don't tell these stories to brag. I tell these stories because to me, it is amazing how low on the bar, how, how low on the floor the bar is. Now, I know this because I also used to work in food service. That bar has been on the floor for a while. Oh, yeah. Um, I, when I used to work at a cupcake shop, I've had people like try to spit cupcake into my hand. I, my first job outside of babysitting at church and working for my stepdad's company, like as a assistant mm-hmm. was working for Jamba Juice. And if you want to talk about privileged a-holes in Newport beach, California, coming up and being this drink isn't right. When it's something that's been off the menu for 10 years years i would oh my god i'd fucking fight i'd be fired so fast oh oh after getting sexually harassed that's when i left but like (laughs) the fact that people are willing to like this guy didn't have to give me extra cookies i walked out with three extra cookies they're like the size of my hand so i'm very excited shout out to that person at neaters for that Uh, he didn't have to do that also apparently the bar's on the goddamn floor i mean the bar has been on the floor but what we're seeing increasingly is people just don't want to deal with that anymore. And it's not worth that risk. That's the big thing. It's my, no longer worth the risk. My number one thing that I wish I could tell everybody is you should work 
in a customer service facing job at least once in your life. Oh, absolutely. You know how to treat other people. Eh, I, I swear to God, like I there's I don't know if people have forgotten what it's I think like. I forgot. Because I mean, I talk to I, I can't tell you the number of phone calls I get on a daily basis that say you're an fucking idiot and I'm like hi I've never talked to you before I don't know how I can help you mm-hmm. oh da, 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 da. really well that sounds like it's actually an issue with your bank do you have automatic payments set up oh mm-hmm. you do okay well this is where you're going to go to make sure that you change those payments well you're mm-hmm. stealing money from me no you literally set up an automatic payment mm-hmm. I have no control over your bank account like it's it's the the guns a blazing thing that comes in where you're going, I don't know you. I don't know your situation. I mm-hmm. am happy to help you, mm-hmm. but you cannot come in yelling that I'm a fucking idiot mm-hmm. when it 99% of the time has nothing to do with anything that I've done. Absolutely. And I think like that's the big thing, honestly, is we're just mm, a part of it's entitlement and a part of it is also just people aren't trained well for that kind of stuff, which is weird to me that it requires a training to treat people like human beings. But uh, we digress. This has nothing to do with the book. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, in other countries, they're kind of scratching their heads right now. Wait, what is wrong with you people? Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so do you want to talk about uh, World War One, And more importantly, do you want to talk about the documentary I sent you? Because apparently you loved it. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to give you a quick breakdown about how World War I happened. Yes. So Queen Victoria, just as a heads up, was basically everyone's grandmother for a while. Mm-hmm. She was part of the, I believe it was the Habsburg dynasty. I'm correct. Um, I don't think you are correct. Am I not correct? I don't think you're correct. She was Windsor. No, not Windsor. Whatever was before Windsor. I think she it was, was Hanoverian. Hanoverian? No. Oh, it's Hanoverian. It was oh, you're right. Damn, I'm Habsburg sorry. is like the Holy Roman Empire. That's where the problem is. So anyway, okay. <laughs> he, they, just so y'all know, Windsor was changed or was changed to Windsor in order to cover up the fact that they were related to Germans because of anti-German sentiment. So just so yeah. you guys are aware, um, Queen Victoria, like I said, was basically grandma to half the crown heads of Europe. So she dies in 1901 and there isn't really anyone to tell the grandkids to calm the F down. So everybody's kind of already had their little fights in between each other for years. Mm -hmm. So-and-so did this to me. It's not fair. So-and-so did this. Eastern Europe was fighting against itself and Mm -hmm. the Austrian-Hungarian Empire. Russia was helping out some of these countries. So it was causing problems with other countries. Germany was trying to prove its military prowess because for a long time it had been like, oh, you're just kind of this loosely group of Prussian states. you're you're okay i guess and they're like no we have all these weapons we can do this britain had lost a lot of their territory so they were still trying to look like a major superpower the united states was trying to stay the f out of it entirely Mm -hmm. but still sitting in the back going pew 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 anyway archduke ferdinand of the austro-hungarian empire and his wife sophie go for an open car ride in serbia during the height of internal fighting Serbia Mm -hmm. was not their friend at this point in time. There are multiple groups in Serbia that are like, we want to bring down Archduke Ferdinand. We want to show that we are are valid on our own. Mm -hmm. They are traveling around. They have multiple bombs thrown at them, Mm -hmm. but attempts succeed. 
and they're like okay well this is this is fine we're fine they go to visit a hospital full of soldiers Mm -hmm. Ferdinand says we're not gonna be you know we're not gonna submit to terrorists we're gonna go back out there so they're still in the open top car they accidentally turn down a wrong street and one of the failed assassins Giuseppe Princip fires on the Archduke and kills him and his wife but one Mm -hmm. of my favorite things from historical documents is Giuseppe Princip's trainer the guy who instructed him for weapons is like he is not a good shot i'm not sure how he managed that mm-hmm. anyway, we could also go into a whole story about how sophie was uh much lower on the um funeral presentations than archduke ferdinand because of her social status which is bullshit but anyway that's a long other story it is austria hungary says serbia is going the f down we will not mm-hmm. stand for this mm-hmm. germany they go hey germany help us out Germany says, why not? France and Britain are like, hey, this is a really bad idea. You really probably shouldn't do this. They get mm-hmm. together, which is hysterical because France and Britain had hated each other forever. And they're still, you hear them bitch about each other all the time if you live there. Um, pretty soon, everyone is fighting everyone. So mm-hmm. you have certain people who have aligned with France and Britain. Have you have certain people who have aligned with Germany? You have Russia going, how the hell did you manage to get us involved? Thus, Russian prisoners of war. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, okay, well, this is bad shit. The mm-hmm. war lasted from 1914 to 1918. It wasn't until, I believe, 1917, towards the very end of the war, that the Allies say, hey, um, can you, America, can you step in here? Eddie Izzard has this great joke about it where he says, If you reference Eddie Izzard one more time, I am walking down the street and beating you with a broom. You live really far away from me. Anyway. I will walk. There's a, there's a joke where he said, you guys were watching a cavalry film at the time. Anyway, so all this goes down. Tons of people are killed. We've already talked about the really nasty side of things. No one has ever seen a war like this before. People are just Oh, there are no rule books for this. No one knows what to do. Um, the war ends. Bunch mm-hmm. of treaty talk comes in. Mm-hmm. And the victors decide Germany should get a lot of shit because mm-hmm. look, they were this power and they stepped in and they caused a lot of problems. So Germany gets the brunt of the restrictions. They get mm-hmm. the brunt of the, um, I can't think of the word right now. They're basically like, nobody wants to trade with them. Nobody wants to do anything with them. So embargo, embargo. So they go from having to being this building up superpower. They've built themselves up. They've had all these weapons to you guys are trash. Your economy sucks. People are starving. Everything is terrible. And this is well, well documented during that period. So while the United States is thriving in the twenties, um, until we have our crash in 29, um, they're suffering. Europe is suffering. Mm-hmm. France is trying to rebuild. Britain is like, what the hell just happened? And Germany is like, oh, hell no. And this is where we start to see the rise of nationalism. So we see yes. uh, German leaders start to step up, including Adolf Hitler. Um, and I was about to say, not just German leaders stepping up, but more importantly, the economic crisis that came from World War One and deciding that Germany was bad, even though everyone was bad, really is your prelude into how we get its way worse sister, World War II, Electric Boogaloo. Which is what I think is so funny because they're like, this was, World War I was known as the Great War. 
it was considered to be the one war that they were going to have as a world and then we were never going to have it again and then you go through like a decade and a half and all of a sudden it's like surprise welcome to another world war but um, i also love that it's called a world war as if all the other wars hadn't been world wars i mean if you even like the war of 1812 which no one in america talks about because it was the one where canada burned the white house down oh do you want to go into the crimean war that's not right like there were a lot of people that were involved in the war of 1812 it wasn't just like a slapping match between two people like it was a lot like all wars are kind of world wars like i eh, I bring other people in yeah i mean really the only time you don't have that is if you're in the civil war and even in the civil war sometimes you have other people help you out we had other countries involved in the civil war i know that's why i said you have other people help you out okay so so we're going to talk about kaiser wilhelm ii for a minute because because i documentary i didn't make you watch shit ma'am I didn't make, no, no, no. I didn't make you do anything. I said, I think you'll find this interesting. So the documentary is called The Secret History of Queen Victoria's Disabled Grandson, The Crippled Kaiser, which none of this is nice. All of it sounds very ableist. Anyway, Kaiser Wilhelm- But he did have problems, like don't- (laughs) Yes, he had a form of palsy caused by damage to his arm when he was born. Now, it was a very big deal to cover this up. This again ties back into why it's such a bad idea to have royalty incest. Because no, 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 no. Cousins marrying cousins is a bad idea. The palsy wasn't caused by that. I'm saying that I understand that. (laughs) Nikki's son, so Tsar Nicholas II, his son having hemophilia was a direct yes to that because Nikki and Alexandria were cousins. Anyway, but that has uh, nothing to do with Kaiser Wilhelm. His palsy was caused by his mom not wanting to have a painful labor. So she said, knock me the fuck out. They did. And she couldn't push or deliver her child. So they basically pulled this poor kid out. He's got a damaged arm and they spend the rest of his life trying to cover this up. So he wears outfits that hide his arm. He is always photographed from one side versus the other. Mm-hmm. So when we have Kaiser Wilhelm in this book step out into the um, the Western Front and he is talking to these soldiers, he is small. He has a very high voice. He is favoring one arm over the other. Mm-hmm. These soldiers are tired. They have been fighting. And they look up and they go, wait a minute. This is the guy running our country? Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? And it kind of ties back into that whole statement too that the other person made about, well, you know what we should do? We should just have our representative or like our head of our country fight Mm -hmm. another head of a country and see who wins supremacy there. So Mm -hmm. it's suddenly this realization of, oh my God, are we just fighting for somebody's personal gain? Yes. Um, (laughs) Yes, that's the answer. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry. So this, I'm going to say this now, and obviously we're giving you a high level overview, right? As we always say in the corporate world, we're high level. Um, if you want the details, you have to do more research. And seriously, <laughs> there are so many documentaries. Now it pales in comparison to the number of documentaries about World War II. I'm gonna tell you right that, right there. What, what, what area of YouTube are you on? Cause I've seen a lot of both, especially because in England, they really love to talk about how awful World War I is. 
Yes. Uh, and I and I don't and I say that slightly like melodramatically, like it's not a big deal. It was, and I acknowledge that it was a big deal. There's poppies everywhere. I understand, but England loves to whinge about World War One. I. I was gonna say Armistice Day is a really big deal. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> November so, 11th, just in case anyone's wondering. Yeah. Um, um, conveniently after Guy Fox Day, where they set the sky on fire because they're mad at one Catholic. Okay, they're mad at the one Catholic that got caught. They're mad at the one Catholic. <laughs> they set the sky on fire. I was like, we're mad talking at- about this all the time. People kept being mad at the Catholics. People, not even the Catholics. They were mad at one Catholic. And they stay mad at one Catholic for hundreds of years. We don't have time to talk about Guy Fox Day. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, we might. Google, Google it. Don't look at V for Vendetta. There okay. we go. So we've talked about chemical weapons. We've talked about trench warfare. We've talked mm-hmm. about trench foot. There's also trench mouth, which is disgusting. Um, chemical weapons, oh! automatic weapons. We didn't talk about drugs and sexually transmitted diseases. <laughs> oh, this one is all over the both world wars. Um, and actually, if you uh, ever read about Virginia Hall, who was involved in World War II, uh, working for the Allies, she was an American. She's like one of mm-hmm. my favorite stories um she was on drugs a lot because she had to be we were actually talking about this before um I have no idea where I was going with the story I just got really excited about it's okay I'm not mad um but she would work with local sex workers and she was one of the only people who was incredibly respectful because as the Germany Germans were coming into France they would sleep with the prostitutes well here's the problem with that Uh, People treated the sex workers terribly because they said, you're having sex with our enemies. Well, here's the thing. Virginia Hall helped work with them, was kind to them, showed respect to them, and they ended up being a huge portion of why the Allies won the war. Because Mm -hmm. what they would do is they would put itching powder in the Germans' pants um, Mm -hmm. before they left. They um, would do all sorts of things where they would take information and provide it to allied spies. So mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but men like to talk, especially when they think that somebody's lower. Um, mm-hmm. And so these women were full of useful information. Mm-hmm. They were also putting their lives at risk because a lot of these soldiers had syphilis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of us actually transmitted diseases uh, you still see that being a problem nowadays, though not as bad. Um, and there was also just, there was a horrifying amount of drug use, like a terrifying amount of amphetamine use. It was just so much. And it really, it, it, I mean, it messed with people. Like there's not a better way to describe it. It just, it really fucked with people. Oh, stimulants were a huge deal. I was telling Amanda before we started the Virginia Hall as she got older would just kind of say like she didn't really sleep and it was a combination of years of withdrawal from Benzedrine and um, PTSD. Yeah. So there was a lot of there was a lot of amphetamine use. There was a lot of cocaine because you could just get that with poppies and stuff. No, I know cocaine doesn't come from poppies, but like it was just a lot, guys. War, war is bad. It's a lot. War is a lot and bad. Continue. You know what I'm kind of excited about? Pretty sure I've mispronounced a bunch of German names in this episode. Anyway. Again, I speak German. You can just ask. 
And you never do. No, I never do. Eric Maria Remarque um, was born June 22nd, 1898 in Germany to a working class Catholic family. You get your Catholics. Anyway, his dad was Peter Remarque and his mom was Anna Marie Remarque. He was Mm -hmm. not close with his dad, who was actually a bookbinder. Um, Mm -hmm. He was incredibly close with his mom. And he actually used her middle name, Maria, as part of his... um, Nom de plume? Nom de plume. Um, (gasps) Two kinds of people? um, Pseudonym. As his middle name is basically his place of honor. So, hey, Mm -hmm. look, my mom's involved in my book. Um, He changed the spelling of his last name to end with Q-U-E instead of K when he published All Quiet on the Western Front to honor his French ancestors. So it sounded less Nazi. That too. He um, was also trying to distance himself from another novel he'd written before that wasn't very popular. Mm -hmm. Um, The Nazis tried to say his real last name was Kramer and that he was Jewish to try and discredit him, but that was propaganda. First Mm -hmm. of all, there's nothing wrong with being Jewish. Go fuck yourself, Nazis. Anyway, um, Eric himself served on the Western Front for Germany at the age of 18. Sorry, I thought he was 19. He was actually 18. Um, Or at least that's when he registered. He was fighting at 19 as Mm -hmm. well. Um, He lost his mother during this. She actually, I believe, died of cancer as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And it really messed him up. He had a really, really hard time coming back and trying to adjust. While he was taking a... um, a break from the front he got it in his head he was going to write a book he was like i want to tell everybody how much war really sucks because this is really terrible and uh-huh. we try to make it sound amazing and uh-huh. initially he could not find a publisher after he wrote his book um what's kind of cool is once his book was published he immediately kind of got some fame because everybody's going what the hell is this his book is apolitical in content basically he's uh-huh. just straight up saying this is what war feels like um Mm -hmm. but multiple political groups tried to say oh well he's this or he's this and he goes nah Mm -hmm. i'm none of you he refused to align himself with any political group which got him in trouble um germany actually included all quiet on the western front in their list of books to be burned by the nazis Mm -hmm. as it did not glorify war and they wanted people fired up um, the film was banned in Germany when it came out, and uh-huh. he made a lot of enemies to the point where he ended up moving to Switzerland because Nazi bitches be crazy. Um, this Remarque is true. spent time working as a teacher. He was a librarian, a businessman, journalist, editor, and a tech writer for a German tire company. Uh-huh. Um, he was fairly interesting in his personal life. It was pretty chaotic. He uh-huh. was married to an actress named Jetta Sambona um, uh-huh. in 1925, but they both cheated on each other pretty heavily they divorced yeah. voice. they divorced in 1930 but married again in 1939 so she wouldn't be forced to go back to germany in the middle of the war um, uh-huh. they moved to the u.s became naturalized citizens in 1947 and then got divorced again in 1957 um uh-huh. he had relationships with a lot of classic hollywood actresses including hedy lamar uh-huh. dolores del rio marlena diedrich and paulette goddard he ended up marrying goddard that was his last wife um he died of heart failure at 72. Paulette Goddard actually um, is buried next to her husband. They, she was um, put there in 1990. She left um, uh-huh. NYU $20 million to found an institute for European studies to be named after Eric Remarque. That's how uh-huh. much she believed in him, which is great. Yeah. 
is now translated into over 50 languages at the time when he was alive it was like 26 languages and still increasing Mm -hmm. the film won an academy award in the u.s to date i still have not watched the movie um and i don't know if it's just because this book holds a special place in my heart and i'm afraid to watch it or if i just have seen too many war movies about world war one and i just don't want to play probably both i'm gonna go ahead and say both world war one is fascinating to me not because of the war part, but because of the political aspects behind it, of the personal stories behind it, where basically Queen Victoria dies and everybody kind of loses their mind. You had Mm -hmm. Russia, who in the middle of all of this nightmare was already dealing with stuff, overthrows Mm -hmm. their government Mm -hmm. and goes, okay, we're the USSR now. What? (laughs) Okay. Um, Also, we're going to put this guy who has been studying in Britain into a position here. Um, I found out yesterday that both Karl Marx and um, Vladimir Lenin used to spend time at the British Museum. The that's, original, that's strangely endearing to me for some reason. The original, I don't know if they spent time together there, but they both went there. Uh, the, no, they went, on, they went on dates there together, it's fine. Well, they had coffee dates. So the yes. British National Library, like the big British library, used to actually be in the British Museum. It's now its own separate entity. I've been to the separate entity. And so I was fascinated by that. Um, There's a book that's coming out. It's not out yet called The Book Lover's Guide to London. And Mm -hmm. I found out a lot of places that I had walked around there. I was like, oh, that's where so-and-so lives. And Charles Dickens is still a dick. Anyway. Did he ever stop? No. Okay. Okay. My husband loves A Christmas Carol. And he has watched a lot of movies that have to do with Charles Dickens. And he's like, he wasn't that bad. I go, he was a misogynistic nightmare. I told my husband, I am no fun when it comes to history because I'm going, oh yeah, that guy was a massive dick. And I feel like the more we read and the more we do research on the writers, I'm like, oh yeah, so that guy, mm-hmm. like Tony Morrison was pretty much one of the only ones that I'm like, yeah, no, she's a queen. Yeah. Um, Octavia Butler. Octavia Butler. Yes. You must- but, Okay. It's yes. been the majority of the ones that are amazing and passable are women and um, and black women. I was about to say, like most, I think most of the black authors that we've covered, or really just the minority authors, like Sandra Cisnetos, like she was a pain, but for like all the right reasons. Oh yeah, which is funny because if you mention her in San Antonio, people are like, oh yeah, the lady with the house, and you're like, the lady who moved yeah. away and but was fighting exactly for- like they're still like oh the lady who like did that house thing she's been gone for like 40 years like why are you still mad there's no reason to still be mad um but yeah i actually i'm less interested in world war one I, I think just because to me i mean all war seems stupid but this one seems particularly stupid i will say mr cutler from world history who's probably no longer with us um but if his i doubt his family listens to this but you the do. one who got me into World War One because I'd always been like, yeah, World War Two, that's the war, the war I want to read about. And then finding out just about the mm-hmm. interpersonal relationships that caused this. And I mean, mm-hmm. the way that the Romanians were treated, the way the Hungarians mm-hmm. were treated, the way that, I mean, this literally just opened a bunch of doors and World War Two did as well for mm-hmm. Russia coming in and saying, Eastern Europe is ours now. Like it's mm-hmm. fascinating. And I know I, I agree. Like there's I'm not saying it's uninteresting. I'm just saying it's always been like my least researched war. Yeah. 
And I'm not saying researching wars is fun. Let's just yes, throw it is. No, it is. Stop that. Yes, it is. It's fun. Yes. It's fun blaming people for war. Right. Like, don't like, like, don't lie. It's, it's fascinating. That's why we keep doing it. What I'm really excited for is, so I know, I think it's 50 years in the UK. I don't know what it is for US intelligence, but every few decades or so, we get a whole slew of documents of this is what actually happened. And this is what we've, we haven't been sharing with the general public because it was an ongoing investigation. And mm-hmm. we find out things like who was, which writers were involved. Oh, Ernest Hemingway might've been involved in the Cold War. Oh, like we start, you didn't know that? I did know that, but just the way he said it was like. Yeah, Russia was trying to get him on their side forever. Like, yes. Spend time in Cuba. You know what's up. He's so like, I so I do have I do have a related thing about that that actually talks it goes back to Deadliest Warrior because I'm a nerd. There's a, a KGB versus CIA episode, <laughs> and it's both like Cold War CIA and KGB, and one of the CIA weapons is the cigar bomb, mm-hmm. and everyone's like this is dumb. Like, why are you using this weapon? And the CIA guy who's like former CIA is like, this has worked before in missions. It's like with fucking who? The ways that both fought each other in Moscow are just fascinating to point where at one point in time, there was a building where, um, CIA members would live and stay and they kept getting weird feedback when they were in there and they're like this is weird or they'd hear a weird scraping sound Mm -hmm. and they found out that there was actually a tunnel under the building where um, Russia the KGB members would crawl under and then they would use this like wench and pulley system to raise a microphone up against the wall to hear what they were saying but the way that it was located was that this was the U.S. side and this was the um, Russian side so they could get away with it. Mm-hmm. And then the U.S. discovered what was going on and basically filled in that hole so that they couldn't come in and do that anymore. But it was through like a servant's quarter area. Yeah. And it was just, and the fact that they had to, they had so much trouble with the safe houses out there because they had to basically build their own CIA or embassy mm-hmm. kind of area because the original building was so full of listening devices and it still mm-hmm. is the ground floors. You don't mm-hmm. talk in the elevator. You don't mm-hmm. talk in those ground floors. They keep basic you know, necessities and stuff down there. And then when you go upstairs, everything has been soundproofed and checked. And if mm-hmm. you were particular information, you have to go in basically this uh, plastic encased room where mm-hmm. things have been where you know it's like a dead zone for cell phones and stuff and they would get into a lot of trouble because ambassadors wouldn't know when to keep their mouth shut because their mm-hmm. whole job was to schmooze and become friends with mm-hmm. the other people and other ambassadors and so they would find things out from the cia and be like did you know that this is happening and the cia would just be like slapping their forehead going you can't say things like that now they know what we're doing my favorite part of that also is uh during that time, Russia had conscripted the man who invented the theremin into making recording devices for them mm-hmm. by blackmailing the fact that he had an African-American wife in the United States. So they threatened 
like his family and said, you have to build listening devices for us. And he's like, I just want to make this nerd music. So part of the reason why the KGB had such great listening devices was because they actually got the guy who invented the first electronic uh, musical instrument, which is a thing that I know, which is why I am still single. I'm surprised that you're still single, honestly, because you were full of awesome information. Thank you. Thank you for appreciating me. But yeah, that's what happened to Leon Theremin. Uh, the, the Russians were like, we're going to, we need this technology. We need this technology to listen to Americans. So that was, um, that was on Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, we both discussed this. We did have to read this in school. I read this in ninth grade. Ergo, my trauma was worse than yours, and I win the Victim Olympics. Yeah, I was 10th grade, so you win You win the Trauma Award this week. Yay! <laughs> I win the Victim Olympics this week. It's uh, an important book to read. It can be mm, really hard when you're in 10th grade and you're dealing with interpersonal drama with teenagers to care. Yeah, I think, I think it's an important book to read of your own volition. Like, if you want to read this book, like, if you're listening to this episode and you've never read it and you want to read it, go with God. But it's definitely one of those books that I think when you make people read it, it's bad and awful and it shouldn't be done. And yeah, it's really hard to contextualize and it makes you feel like your problems are stupid, but like not in a fun validating way. There is a BBC audio adaptation of this that's basically just done as a radio play. I had a hard time with it because I'm so used to, you know, the way that the book is written itself. So I just Mm -hmm. went with the written book. But if you are more comfortable with like a radio style drama, that's Mm -hmm. a really great place to start. And there's excellent sound effects. BBC does great work. They Mm -hmm. cause a lot of problems, but they do great work. I got to hear the recording. Uh, that will play when the queen dies. It's very interesting. Did you know that they have emergency uh, all black attire for when that happens? Mm-hmm. I love that so much. Like it, w- at the moment the queen dies, they have like emergency goth attire, just quick change into. And then there's like all these like sirens and announcement codes. I am not going to say that I'm looking forward to the queen passing away, but I'm looking forward to the queen passing away just because I want to see all this in action. Tori, what do I want for lunch today? I'm thinking P.F. Uh, Chang's. P.F. Chang's is a good, is a good call. I was going to say, are you going to get your potato, your regular potato? No. <laughs> I had a, a hunk of a summer sausage that was in the fridge mm-hmm. because I wanted to. I, um, I'm not here to judge. Uh, do you want to tell the listeners what we're doing next episode? So... September is our pain month. Normally we do this in November, but in November we have a special guest. So we do. We are going to be doing the why are you doing this to me? Amanda's already told me that I'm gonna I'm going to be hating by this. Yes. Um yes. Equus by Peter Schaefer or Schaffer or whatever it is. It's Schaefer or Schaffer. I don't know. You speak German. Oh now, now you want to ask Schaefer. Now <sighs> At the end of the episode, she has the gumption. Schaefer, and it's equus. It's two U's. Oos. I'm going to make you hang out on Latin TikTok. You know what I want you to do? I yes. want you to take that entire part from Loki episode two 
and just start introducing yourself as Loki at conventions in Latin. I mean, I can. And then we can both run around going, nothing matters. <laughs> Do what you want. Haven't... I still haven't seen Loki. <gasps> I feel like you would love it just because of the um, chaos. The chaos and the classics references. I, I did see that stuff. Shockingly, I'm not the biggest, I'm not a Hiddle bitch. I like him. I like I, his personality and he's yes. hot. But I know that if I tried to fight my friend Steph for him, I would die. So Steph, yeah. if you're listening, he's all yours, Bubba. You you can have him. But if I could I have just, Bucky Barnes, that would be great. We'll have to fight over him. Um. I mean, I think he's fine. I also think, like, this is one of those weird instances where, like, even though I have no attachment to, like, Norse history or culture, I'm very upset at what they've done to Loki. Like, uh, that's not, that's not what he's like. That's I was not say, what the myth is. The Norse god is very different from Marvel's adaptation, but so is Thor. So I, is but, but again, Hel- I just- Hel- not Hela. It's Hel. I know and like I that's the thing like I'm acknowledging that I'm wrong like I'm acknowledging that I'm petty and wrong but like there's something that particularly about that that is like come on guys so are you watching what if no I'm behind Tori I'm behind I will though what if is so good and Chadwick Boseman is the definition of black excellence I miss him so much I miss him too I I wish he wasn't gone he was such a powerhouse really was and like I feel so bad for being mean to him that one time I wasn't mean to him physically but I was definitely like one of those writers that was he seems really low energy and bored yeah I was fucking dying you bitch (laughs) I feel so I know I say this every time like someone mentions Chadwick Boseman I feel so bad about that but it's like I'm sorry I didn't know he was dying he just looked uninterested and bored and now it's realized he was sick and I feel bad so yeah we're gonna talk about uh Equus a book that I had to read uh for a poetry class that I was in and it made me uh hate literature for a while when I was in college so it was kind of a joke with my roommates that I had a picture of Daniel Radcliffe from Equus as you put it on the my door don't make it sound like I'm just being uppity. I'm sorry that I know the proper pronunciation. Listen, I say how to now and people roll their eyes at me. Mm-hmm. That's your fault. It is my fault. Good. But it's correct. So it is correct. You can blame John Green's wife, Sarah, for that. Don't blame me. That's that's Sarah Green's fault. Have you seen the picture of Hank Green as a goth kid? Yes. Oh my gosh. So TikTok is tiktok can be a wonderland it can be a horrific hellscape but it can also be a wonderland mm-hmm. so if you want to make your life a little bit better follow hank and also john green yes i love them both very much i know that they're not listening we should we should ask them we should tell them that we talk about them and hopefully that they will listen um so i'm excited to cover this book that no one likes and i don't think is very good uh tori where can the good people find us we are all over social media we're at unfortunately required reading on facebook unfortunately rr on twitter unfortunately required on instagram or if you just want to go to one place to find us all it's unfortunately required reading.com 
Mm-hmm. If you want to email us and tell us a funny story, uh, show us pictures of your white tears water bottle. Uh, yes. You can obviously do that on any social media, but you can also email us at unfortunately required reading at gmail.com. Correct. Uh, special shout out, not sponsored to Largo Bay Black Cherry Rum. Uh, this is delightful. And it's charcoal filtered. Really? That yes. Is. Yeah. Um, also, be careful when ingesting charcoal things if you take medication. Yes. Remember to mask up. If you haven't yeah. got the vaccine, please go ahead and get it. Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, our lieutenant governor has decided to be racist uh, and said that the rise in vaccine and uh, unvaccinated people and the rise in COVID um, diagnoses and deaths is the fault of black people he can kiss my black ass you know what my favorite part about that is yes every black person i know is like i'm gonna go get it i'm gonna make sure that this happens i like you and i have talked about you know even with the medical history of the tuskegee study and all that they're Mm -hmm. like i'm not messing around with this you know who i hear give the excuses about why they're not getting it white people white men yeah Uh, there's a great vice video literally this these are the people who yell at me because i got a vaccine and wear a mask in front of them there's a vice video that's a people that are like in the icu and are like with and they're they're in the icu with covid like yeah i'm not i'm still not sure about the vaccine and it's like you're dying friend like well they can't give it to them in anyway well like when they get out and stuff like that like they can't now but like when they get out like yeah i'm still i'm still on the my favorite was this woman they have to do the interview with walkie talkies because the recording crew can't get in where she is. And she's like, yeah, I'm still on the fence. <laughs> it's like, Damn, you are the problem. I you think are the problem. What breaks my heart is we've done this before. This, this happens every time there is a major pandemic is mm-hmm. we don't trust because of medical history. We're like, we're not going to do this. Great influenza. They told people to wear masks and not gather in public. With the great influenza, we also had newspapers who refused to report on it because they were told that if they wrote bad news, it would hurt the war effort. So get that. But still, now we have social media posts of people saying, don't get the vaccine. You're going to be implanted with a chip. Honey, you're not important enough for somebody to implant a chip. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly... We joke all the time that my FBI agent that watches my computer's name is Fox. Thanks, Fox mm-hmm. Mulder. Um, I'm just saying they're getting quality Mothman content. So, oh, would you like to tell uh, the viewers about an email that you received? <laughs> I died laughing. What was it, yesterday or Thursday? Thursday. Work, and I check my email, and this email pops up <laughs> from the Point Pleasant Food Bank. From a lovely lady named Geraldine <laughs> that says, I was asked by Amanda C when yes. sending over or when this uh, donation was made into effect to please go ahead and email you and let you know a do- donation has been made in the name of the Mothman yes. and bless it. And I just start, thankfully, no one was in the office yet. I just and just immediately responded to amanda i love you because (laughs) i knew that you had donated but just getting that email from poor geraldine at the food bank who's like poor 
Gosh, not even the food bank from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Because behind the scenes, spoiler alert, I was on a Discord call after this and I was like, I need to donate in the name of the Mothman because Baron Von Cheese Plate told me to. He's over here holding me accountable. I went on like the longest tangent. Like I refuse to donate to the Presbyterians. It must be a Catholic organization. <laughs> so I had to find the local St. Vincent de Paul chapter for that area. And when pressed about sending a confirmation, like, yeah, you need a fucking confirmation. I made my donation in honor of the Mothman and I made sure that I sent it to Tori. I didn't think it'd be so delayed, but I guess like it just processed. So there you go, Tori. I made my donation in the name of the Mothman. Has Ophelia gotten her toys yet? Yes, they have been sent. I sent the big cuddly bed. That's like the big cuddly cat bed. I haven't heard anything from them, but I'm not expecting it. So I I will reach out. I will find them. We just wanted don't. to make sure that you got the big bed from unfortunately required reading. Yeah, I will ask. Don't worry. I send a card like with it. Hell yes. Because uh, they actually do a lot of unboxings and stuff. So we'll see. Hopefully we'll see it. But yes, yeah, so we made our donations. I am still our lady of perpetual gargoyles. Um, it is a title that I am the most proud of. Uh, today in nerd news, I just found uh, a 900 page uh, pre-Pantone guide to color from 1692 has been fully digitally scanned. So I'm going to be spending uh, the remainder of the evening looking at an old book about color. Sounds fun. Because that's what I do in my spare time is I have a bunch of goetic like random things which is why I know about Stolas. And I have a ton of just very very dumb like open source vintage stuff because when that stuff goes into the commons a lot of people will scan it into digital libraries and say yeah download it I use a lot of that for like blog graphics and everything so it's really really fun and those are things that Amanda does uh, when she's not recording this podcast Um, as we always say uh, stay safe out there and again the pandemic is not over just because you're over it Uh, we are reaching a scary time right now with children going back to school and people deciding that logic no longer matters. Um, It does believe experts, listen to scientists, stay safe. Remember um, that this isn't just about you. Unfortunately, we do live in this great wide world with many other people that surround us. Um, But this is why we read, it helps increase empathy. Mm -hmm. So um, for the sake of that, stay safe and go read a book. We'll see you next time. Bye.